0: Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Today I want us to take a look at Psalm 23. I don't know of a more familiar passage in all of Scripture, but this is where the Lord would have us today. We just finished 11 weeks in Second Peter, and we're going to, I don't know exactly where we'll start. I suspect we will do another sermon series, but for today, I have no doubt in my mind that God has a word for us from Psalm 23. It's very familiar, but sometimes that works against us. We take so much for granted. We read it so quickly. We place it all over places, on the back of obituaries. We place it in the kitchen and hang it on the wall. Sometimes I fear that we forget exactly what it means. But we're going to read from Psalm 23, beginning in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, and He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. That word's far too weak in the English. The Hebrew, that word means to pursue. It actually is a word they would use if you had an enemy trying to chase you down. If you were being hounded by those who were seeking ill against you. That's the word the Hebrews would use. Here it tells us because of our relationship with God that goodness and mercy shall hound us on the trail of life until he calls us home. All the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Henry Ward Beecher was, he was an abolitionist who was a Christian and a a pastor, and he was one of many, we rarely hear about, but he was one of many Christian pastors who fought hard to abolish slavery. He was a gifted writer and gifted speaker, but he cites Charles Spurgeon, who needs no introduction, and something that Spurgeon said about the 23rd Psalm. I just want to read a small portion of it. He said, the 23rd Psalm, this is Spurgeon quoted by Beecher, has charmed more griefs to rest than all the philosophies of the world. It has remanded to their dungeon more felon thoughts, more black doubts, more thieving sorrows than there are sands on the seashore. It has comforted the host of the poor. It has sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It has poured balm and consolation into the hearts of the sick and captives in dungeons. It has comforted widows from their griefs, and orphans in their loneliness, and dying soldiers have died easier as it was read to them. Ghastly dark hospitals have been illuminated. It has visited the prisoner and broken his chains, and like Peter's angel, has led them forth and back to their homes again. I love this line. It says, It has made the dying Christian slave freer than his master. You might not recognize Henry Beecher's name, but he had a sister named Harriet Beecher Stowe. She's famous for writing the book Uncle Tom's Cabin. And she wrote it prior to the abolition of slavery. She was like her brother. She fought hard against it. And her book, Uncle Tom's Cabin, from which we get the pejorative term Uncle Tom it set ablaze those in the north against slavery it angered those in the south and she was fighting hard through literature to try to bring that travesty to an end so let me read again what he says it has made the dying Christian slave freer than his master and console those whom he left behind mourning, not so much that he was gone, as because they were left behind and could not go too. Wow, Spurgeon could say it in ways like no one else could. We get two images in this psalm. One is of a shepherd, we always see that one clearly, but another one is a gracious host. I don't, uh, I'm not a a real social person, I know a lot of you are just stunned by that, but I've been a few places in my life where I just didn't want to leave. It just was so peaceful. My heart was at such rest. I felt so blessed, so comfortable, so safe that I just didn't want to go anywhere. And the psalmist, now he's had his routes and he's had his bouts. But he has fought enemies from within and from without. But I can tell you, he says, in your presence, God, it is a place That I just don't want to leave. I just want to stay there as long as I possibly can. So he is telling us that because he is saying, look, when times are tough and the world is bigger than us, and our problems are greater than us, and we are looking for answers that just do not seem to come. God glorifies Himself by taking the weak and the weary and lifting us up in our time of trouble. I've actually seen people who made me wonder how they make it. I'm sure you have. Just situations with with death and sickness and things like that it just would make you try to wonder how in the world could that be I remember in my first church one time two little children were killed in a car wreck and they were lying in the casket side by side one little girl had her arm around her little sister's body man I want to tell you I I I don't know how you get through that I, I don't know how as a parent, that that you live through that. I, I know, I know it's with God's help, but boy, that is just too easy to say. It's so easy just to say, trust in the Lord. As a matter of fact, I read a story one time in a really great book about a man who lost a young baby, a young child, and what made it worse was this child was the product of an adulterous affair he had had later in life he had up problems with other children that he loved just as dearly he had one son who raped one of his daughters and he had another son who killed that son for raping his sister and of course the one about whom i speak wrote this song so let's see what he says about the Great Shepherd. The Great Shepherd. Several things, nothing complicated. I hope it blesses our heart. I, I, I purposely have tried to leave the world's affairs out of it today, but you've seen it all week. I will say this. I saw in the news early this morning that Hamas is already engaged in talks with Iran If Iran gets involved, I can tell you this world is never, ever going to be the same. It's just not going to be the same. So where do we find comfort? And where do we find peace? And how do we deal with the travesty that is unfolding before our eyes? First of all, we turn to the shepherd. And we have to, number one, understand the shepherd's place. The shepherd's place in our life, verse one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now that tells me something about me, and it tells me something about him. About me, it tells me that if he is my shepherd, then that would make me a sheep. And sheep are known to be naive and foolish and constantly needing direction. Sheep are convinced that their own ideas are right. Does that resonate with anybody? And it's hard to convince them otherwise. They will go to their death thinking that this is the right direction. They will die from the arms of safety into arms of treachery because they're so ignorant and they are so foolish and they're so naive. They constantly have to be herded and watched and cared for all the time. I am told, I don't know, never owned sheep, but I've been told that you could raise a sheep on this side of our building and once he's grown you could take him over here to this side of our building and he might never find his way back. It's incredible that we are so much Like sheep. It also tells me something about him. When he says the Lord is my shepherd. If you've been around here very long, you know this already. But look at the word Lord. Every letter in that word is capitalized. That means in the Hebrew, that word is what? It is Yahweh. It is the tetragrammaton or the four consonants that the Jews would refer to. They would not say the name Yahweh. But it had four letters in it. Hebrew has no vowels. So it had four consonants. And sometimes they would refer to the, refer to the tetragrammaton or tetragrammaton and they would say, you know, the four consonants, but they would not utter that name. It was just too holy. It was the covenant name for God. And so they would only speak it once a year, it would only be spoken by the high priest. As a matter of fact, later on, hundreds, thousands of years later, when when we were going to uh, make Hebrew into a language that we could understand better, and we gave it what's called a pointed text. We put little marks under the letters so we would know which uh, vowels to put in those words. They did not even know which vowels went in the word Yahweh. So they took the vowels out of Adonai, another word for Lord, put them together in Yahweh and came out with a word that we say in English as Jehovah, but we truly have no understanding as to really how to say the covenant name of God. All of that to say he's important. It is that covenant God that is my shepherd. Wow, that's like finding out You have someone who's married to somebody famous, you know. It's like, oh, you have a personal relationship with so-and-so. How cool is that? Or you grew up living next door to what's-his-name. How great is that? How cool is it to have Yahweh as your personal shepherd? That's pretty awesome to me. And I love the way he writes here because he doesn't say as he does in other places. He says, God is my rock. He's my shield. He is my king. He's my deliverer. He uses all kind of impersonal words to talk about God. But here he says, the Lord, the covenant name for God, He is my personal shepherd. And He's my shepherd. That means a personal shepherd relationship is required. I posted something on social media this week and it kind of grew quiet because I lamented publicly that only a half of one percent of Israelis claim to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Only two percent of all of Israel claims to be Christian and 60 or 90 something percent of those who are Christians in Israel are not Jews, but they are Arabs. 60 something percent, 65, 68 percent of those who live in Israel consider themselves non religious, and 20 percent, 20 percent consider themselves atheists. So when we pray for Israel, let's don't just pray that they beat everybody up and win the battle. I do pray for their protection. Don't get me wrong. They're the only democracy we have in that area. They've been a great ally to the United States of America. But I want us to also pray for the salvation of those who live in Israel. Well, and that's because it requires a personal relationship just knowing he's the shepherd reciting verses about the shepherd is one thing he has to become my shepherd and we need a personal relationship you know in some ways we talk about the foolishness of sheep they're kind of smarter than us in some ways i know it's hard to believe but when the enemy comes they run sometimes we negotiate Really? We talk about, well, you know, that's not that big a deal. And so what if it's infiltrated the church? And so what if we don't believe like we used to? And so what if half the Bible we've decided that it's out of date and archaic and all of that kind of foolishness? When sheep see the enemy, they just run. They don't come up with a plan to try to compromise. Another thing about sheep is they don't have fences. They follow the shepherd. Fences are for religion. Okay? But shepherds are for relationships. If just, you, if all you have is a religion, then you're going to have to have some do's and don'ts, and, and you can't uh, smoke, drink, or chew or date girls who do. Uh you, you got to have some rules and things that you are forbidden to do and you have to keep up with all of that and then they change from time to time. That is not what God is looking for. And if I could go back and change one thing about 43 years of preaching, one of the things I would try to help people do is to try to somehow or another And it's so frustrating because it's so hard. But try to help people to see that I am not preaching a religion. I'm not warning them about how high the fences are. I'm preaching about God wants a relationship with them. I wish I could do a better job of that. Jesus said one time in John 10, 27, my sheep don't live in a fence. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Awesome verse. That's the relationship he wants. We'll move on. His place is peace. Makes me to lie down in green pastures. Sheep are so prone to fear. Man, this is a very personal one for me because of the struggles I've had down through the years with obsessive compulsiveness and things like that. I battled with depression. Some of you know all about that. But I'm just saying to you, uh, I've had my struggles here and sheep are prone to two things. Fear and restlessness. As a matter of fact, sheep, we're told, will not lie down. And they will just absolutely... Uh, fret themselves to exhaustion and sometimes die because they won't lie down and get the rest that they need and the only way to get them to lie down is to make them feel peaceful and comfortable and secure about their surroundings if they don't feel that they will constantly move and they will constantly fret and and their heart just races and finally Sometimes they will even die trying to fight enemies that they really can't even see. And sometimes with sheep, this is so important. The greatest frustration and it arises from within the flock. You know, we know chickens have a pecking order. Cows have a horning order, they call it. Sheep have a budding order. Now, yeah, they're not real good, and this ought to hit a nerve. They're not real good at fighting the enemy, but they can fight each other like all get-out. I know that's not at all like us, and we can't relate, right? They can't fight the enemy. They have nothing to fight with, but they'll butt each other and, and try to get ahead and show off who is the biggest, someone that just got chickens recently, um, that, they were asking me, well, what do I do? i got two that just chase the others everywhere. I said, you guys got to let them sort it out. They'll finally figure it out. One of them will get tired of running, the other of them will get tired of chasing, or maybe one of them will just turn around and pick the lard out of that one chasing, and it'll all be over with. Just got to sort it out. These are chickens. <laughs> we're not talking about something you tie up in the basement to keep burglars out. Though I have met some banny roosters that would give it a try. They're not good at fighting enemies. They can't even beat a possum, but they can beat each other to death. Some of the greatest growth you'll do will be being part of a flock, friend. But this is where we grow. This is where we grow. That's why I will go ahead and tell you, this is why some always find a reason not to be here. I I, I shared with you recently that churches are going through a sifting. I I know very few churches that are actually growing. Most of them, uh, they're still trying to survive having gone through COVID. It hit us hard, but but it's still a fight for survival. But it is so easy to stop going to a place where sometimes there's tension or, or, or there's situations that you have to get involved in that you just had rather leave alone. So what some people do is they just decide, well, we're just, we're just going to go somewhere else. And then when they figure out it's that way in every church, then a lot of them wind up just going home and, Saying, well, we're just going to have church there, or, or we're going to be the church instead of go to the church. I, I have heard all of that. But I will tell you, one of the reasons that we grow when we are part of the flock is because God puts us in situations here that you cannot escape. You have to deal with things. You, you, you have to manage things. You have to deal with complaints. You have to deal with problems. You have to deal with issues. Some of them are serious. Some of them are not. But you have to deal with each other. Being part of the flock is one of the reasons that we grow having to deal with each other. As a matter of fact, we here have an elder paradigm of leadership. We almost never, ever vote. I think we only vote on two things ever in this church. Most churches vote on everything. But, but why did we move from a family-oriented Type of paradigm to a democracy. Why did we do that? You don't find democracy anywhere in the New Testament, but you do see the family paradigm there where Paul tells Timothy, hey, here's how you get along in the church. You treat the older women like mothers, younger women like sisters, the young men like brothers, and the older men, you treat them like they are fathers. It is a family. What all do you vote on at your house as a family? Who all wants to go to school? (laughs) Who wants gummy bears for breakfast? We don't do that. But we do it at church because it's easier. And I'm sad to say that the person that it is the easiest on is usually the leadership. Because here at Cornerstone, sometimes I have to say, That's what we, as the pastors, decided. We prayed about it. It's the way the Lord would have us go. Sometimes we have to say we prayed about it and we were wrong and we're going to do it a different way. That's not easy. It's not easy for us, it's not easy for you, but that's the way God set up His church. There should be some tension and stress here. It's like going to the gym. I quit going. One, I I don't like the music they play. There's a lot of people there I didn't know, and it was always stressful. Every time I got on a machine, it didn't want to move where I was supposed to be moving it. When I'd finally get it there, then they'd want me to do it nine more times. It just was stressful. So, this is what I do I do my workouts at at home. What do you you think? I quit going to the gym. I am the gym. I started being the gym. Oh, I know it's stressful. Do you not think I ever want to quit? There are times I just love to get away from it all sometimes. Man, people ask me sometimes, they'll say, Preacher, do you ever want to quit? I'm like, you don't even want me to answer that. His place, even in the flock, we have His peace. Thirdly, His pardon. Verse 3 says, He restores my soul. The restoration means to return or to recover. And Dr. Andrew Bonair tells us he was a shepherd in Scotland and he said one of the problems in Scotland was sheep would go to places and have to be what he called restored. He writes about this psalm from his experience as a real shepherd. But he said sheep would jump from a cliff down onto a maybe a grassy knoll but then they couldn't get back. And he said if you jump down there with them you'll scare them, they'll go off the other side and they may die. He says, so what you have to do is let the sheep wear itself completely out trying to get back. And when it is totally exhausted and finally figures out that I'm trying to get back where I need to be, but I cannot do it on my own, he says, you can go pick that sheep up in your arms and carry it exactly where it needs to be. Wow. I've been there. Sometimes we go places we can't get back from. We get involved in things that get involved in us. We, we take up things that take us up and, 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 and we, we get addicted or we, we get, uh, in over our heads in temptation or whatever it might be. And, and I can tell you, just like most animals, sometimes sheep will see their rescuer as the enemy. I'm amazed sometimes watching people try to free wild animals from traps and things like that that they've gotten themselves into. But they have to be careful because that wild animal has no clue that somebody is trying to help him. And it is the same way with us. Sometimes when we're trying to speak truth into people's lives, we become their enemy forever because they have no clue that what we're really trying to do is to help them to get back to a place they can't get back to on their own. He leads me in paths of righteousness, not unrighteousness. Not unrighteousness. He doesn't lead us in those paths for His namesake. It's for His name that He leads us in paths that reflect His character. Shows us what God is like. So if I come to you and I tell you, well, I think God's uh, leading me to divorce my wife. I don't really have a reason, but I just feel led to do that. I hope you'll tell me I'm an idiot. God doesn't lead like that. Well, I feel like God's leading me to a different church. And He might be. But make sure that He is because we lead ourselves so much and we blame it on God. He will lead us in paths that reflect His character. And that's not the path of least resistance. It is a path path that makes us more like Him. His peace, His place, His pardon. We also have His presence. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Did you notice that? He just went from third person to second person. In other words, he's quit telling us about God. And he started talking to God. It's awesome. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The valley of the shadow of death or the shadow of death is all one word in the Hebrew. Tismaveth is the word in it is a word that just it doesn't ne- have to mean death. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it means he's with me when I go through something in life that is as dark and as scary as death. It might not just be when you take your last breath. It might be when you've exhausted your last resource. It might be when you've lost your last hope. It might be when you're at the end of your rope and not the end of your life. This is when it's so cool because notice now the shepherd has come alongside him. And he's talking directly to him. Man. But even in death, this is where most of us turn back. This is why we say goodbye. This is why we get the call together at the hospital because the time is, is near. And this is why we have the funeral and, and all of that and say all of those things. We have to say goodbye. But David says, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even if it is my physical death, he says, you don't turn back. You are With me. When you comfort children. Oh man. You you don't have to say to a child. You know I I have superpowers. Or or, or I I got skills that I don't have. If, if, if you are someone in whom they have confidence, you can take a child that's scared to death and put them in your arms and just say, I'm here. Mommy's here. Dad, Daddy's here. Daddy's here. Oh, yeah. And that's all you need. I, I know I've told you the story so many times, but my dad had a construction business. The guy got mad at my dad. He got really drunk and he came to our house one time. My dad wasn't home from work yet. Guy was standing out in the backyard. This was at that old house that you've seen the picture of. My brother and I were standing there under grandma's apron. Yep, that, that was the protective dome. It would stop missiles from a thousand miles out. And I was peeping around the edge of that thing. And Granny was trying to keep him out of the house. And we didn't know what we were going to do. And about that time, we heard chains rattling. Now, that's not a, it's not a haunted house. But my daddy had a 53 Chevy pickup truck. And those chains latched the tailgate. And we heard it coming down the driveway. And we knew Daddy's home. And then we got giddy instead of scared. It was like daddy's gonna kill him. (laughs) Oh yeah. It's so awesome when you know daddy's home. In my life, there have been times I was so afraid. And I fought my demon so hard. There was times I would ask God, Lord, take me in your arms. And hold me like I do my little children. Let me feel your arms around me. I know I'm a big old rough customer, but God, I I need to be your child tonight. I need to know, God, that you are with me. Which brings us to number five, His protection. Verse four, He says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod is for the enemy and the staff is for me. The rod was a stick that the shepherd would use that if a, uh, some kind of wild beast came toward the flock, I going to tell you, the shepherd didn't run. He met him. He met him and he would take that stick and buddy, he did some business with it. David said, hey, when I was watching the sheep, now this was when he went you know, to help his brothers out who couldn't figure out what to do with Goliath. They didn't own a nuclear slingshot. But when he got there and Goliath started running his mouth, he said, Well, look, I killed a bear one time barehanded. That's why they call bears bear. Do you know that? I just made that up. He said, I killed a lion one time. He said, So this big old uncircumcised Philistine if he thinks he'll get the better of me he said I don't come against him in my name I come against him in the name of the Lord of hosts he said so I don't need to worry about him God's been with me before and God will be with me now let God fight your battles for you Your enemies only wished you were the one that was going to take vengeance. When you get ready to give somebody a piece of your mind or you get ready to go defend yourself or you get ready to go to tear into somebody, let God do all of that. They'd much rather fight you than fight your Savior. And then the staff was the long stick with a hook on the end of it. And a lot of times sheep would get places sometimes they didn't need to be and the shepherd would reach, get them around the neck and drag them back where they go. Boy, God's almost worn that staff out on me sometimes in my life. i got all kinds of ideas about where I think I want to go and where I think I want to be or need to be or whatever. Sometimes God just has to get a hold of me and just drag me back. He has to manhandle me sometimes with His grace so that I can understand what He's trying to do in my life. His place, His peace, His pardon, His presence, His protection. Number six, his provision. He says, you prepare a table before me. And notice this. You do it in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. My cup overflows, God. (laughs) And he says, when you bless me, sometimes you prepare a table of blessing not just in front of me, but in front of my enemies. See, see how cool that is? If, if you attack me, God might make you watch Him bless me. Wouldn't that be something? I remember a guy in the Old Testament that had the talking donkey and his third try at cursing the people of God. Finally, the guy that hired him said, you curse them one more time, they're going to be the greatest nation on earth. They get bigger and better every time you try to bless them. And Balaam finally told him, he says, they are the greatest nation on earth. It's not because of their power, but it's because of the strength of their God and you are never, ever going to defeat them. And unfortunately though, Balaam gave Balak the secret formula, the kryptonite, he said, if you can get them to sin against their God, he says, then you can defeat them. Well, sometimes... He prepares a table before me and he says, My cup runs over. My cup runs over. You anoint my head with oil. This is all the sign of an honored guest. When I'm in your presence, God, you you, you don't make me feel like, well, I had to earn it. You treat me like I am precious to you, and my cup overflows. You know, I just saw, and we got one more point left and we'll close, but I just saw this week where somebody won the lottery over a billion dollars. Wow. Man. A billion dollars. There are two young ladies sitting in here today. I remember years ago your daddy saying... (laughs) He was a farmer. He said, if I had a million dollars, this is back when a million dollars was a lot of money. Now it's like, what, two tanks of gas? Your daddy told me one time, he said, if I had a million dollars, I'd just keep farming until it was all gone. (laughs) I thought, wow. But if you think about it, I don't have to win the lottery. I had my three little grandbabies from. They're they're from a foreign country, you know, so I don't get to see them much. They live in Wake Forest, ugh, close to Raleigh, where the people are supposed to be smarter. I'll just leave that there. But they were with Loretta and I all week. My three little babies from down there. Oh my goodness. I just love them absolutely to death. They're healthy. I got two grandchildren that live here. You know, I can't I can't describe it. When you got grandchildren, yeah. You just got plum sideways, did you not? Oh yeah. You're like, man, I'm so glad now I didn't kill my children. It's just awesome. All my children are healthy. My grandbabies and my children. But if one of them wasn't and I won that billion dollars and that's what it cost to cure one of them, I'd be writing a check. So why do I need a billion dollars when I've already got plenty This better? I've already got what it can't afford. My cup runs over. Last of all, His promise. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy. Mercy is tov. In the Hebrew, Boker tov is good morning. You might have heard mazel tov. That's the way Hebrews say good luck to each other. Goodness. The word tov though means pleasantness and agreeableness, peacefulness, and goodness and then he moves to mercy and this is our word it's the word for loving kindness that's untranslatable cornerstone let's hear it Hesed. Hesed is a word that is untranslatable my hebrew teacher in graduate school taught me that and he was a liberal But he said that word is so powerful we do not have an English equivalent. God loves us so much in such an undeserved way. He says, guys, when you translate that word just call it hesed. Because we have no word for it. That was such a blessing to me. One, because I knew I'd get it right on the test. But to learn that that we have things of God that we can't even translate into English. And when he says, shall follow me, I've already told you, radaf is the word in it. It means to pursue, sometimes in a negative sense, to persecute or to chase, to put to flight, to make restless, to come after in a hostile way. It it is like the hound of heaven that we read about from the reformers. God's grace is after us. You know, you see those movies where the convicts have escaped and they stop and they can hear the bloodhounds and they're still coming. Sometimes in our lives, if we'll just get quiet for a minute and stop trying to run so fast and just get still and let God put His hand on us and be still and know that He is God, sometimes you can hear those hounds of grace and mercy closing in. Oh boy, they're coming. They're closer now. God's goodness is closer than it was a while ago. Oh man. I've not been good. I've not done what I need to do. I failed. Yeah, once again. You did? Really? Over and over you keep doing that? Just, Just sometimes you have to just stop. And and quit trying before you make a bigger mess out of your life. And just just listen. And sometime you'll hear that grace hound coming through the woods. God's pursuing us. These are His words, not mine. And He says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I bet every one of you (laughs) have had that parent talk from your parents. You can remember it. I know some of you. You're like me, you're old. But you remember when you got learned the first time, this is not your house, this is my house. You remember when you learned that? When somebody told you, oh, you, if you're going to live in my house, oh yeah, <laughs> well, that was almost unspoken when I grew up. We don't invite God to come live at our house. His house is where He has that place of authority. Where He decides what goes and what doesn't. I don't get to ask God, hey, would you come join my life and be like a phone or a microphone here just attached to my life. I I got some things I want to do and I already know where I want to go to college and I already know who I want to marry and I already know my career and I already know where I want to work and I already know all of that. But I would love for you to come along, God. That's not how it works. But see, the good part about that is this. Over at my house, yeah, my kids will tell you, I was a daddy. And it was my house. But at my house now, With just Loretta and I there, something threatens us or noise outside at night, something that requires protection, I'll take care of it. I know you're going, you just got one hand. You'll be surprised how much equipment I've got that works with one hand. You meet me in the hallway at 2 o'clock in the morning. You better be a ninja. Because I come prepared. I'm too old to fight and too fat to run. So we're just going to have to dial it in right there. But she won't have to worry about me sending her out. Because at my house, I protect it. I love living at God's house. Let Him take care of us. Maybe you kind of moved away from God's house. That happens. Got out on your own. Did some things that you knew wouldn't go at God's house. I'm not talking about this building here or any other building like it. I'm talking about that place in your life where at one time, you know, God called the shots. But you also knew that you lived within His protection, within the confines of His grace and His mercy and the might of His hand. But boy, when you're away from that, life is scary, it's dreadful, it's full of disappointment and filled with defeat. Can somebody say, Amen? Have you been there really? Say amen again. Have you you experienced that personally? Say it again. Amen. Amen. I don't ask for amens. Very rarely. I just wanted the people sitting around you to know they weren't the only one. We all get away from God's house sometimes. I don't know what this week's going to hold. Based on last week, I could, I'd say we may be in a full-blown war by next Sunday. We had a, we, we, we've caught 160 terrorists at our border in the last three years. I'll just say it that way, okay? In the last three years. We've caught 160 terrorists. We've had a million five hundred 100,000 people who've come across the border who we don't even have a clue who they are or where in the United States they went. And some of them are terrorists. There's no doubt. Saw it yesterday, first time I've seen it in the news. But we're already looking for Hamas fighters in America don't know where they are but they'll let us know soon I don't want to spend my life worrying about that here's the thing maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like you know pastor I would have left a word about Hamas all week I probably could have handled that my problems aren't terrorists my problem pastor is me I don't need somebody to blow up my life I blow it up all the time. I destroy everything I touch. I need your help, God. Let's bow our heads right quick. And let's pray together. In the quietness of this moment, I'm going to tell you whether you recognize it or not, God met you here today. Might have been, might have been the first place you've, you've run into God all week, but I want to tell you, He met you here today. He came to see you. He had a word for you. Maybe right now you'd just like to say, God, I need your forgiveness. I've asked for it so many times, I'm ashamed of myself, God, but I don't have a choice. Maybe you just have to say, Lord... I'm like a sheep. I go places sometimes and then I have no clue as to how to get back. I want to come home, God. I want to come home. But I don't know how. You're going to have to let Him carry you, friend. You're going to have to stop fighting. Maybe you're here today and you got other fears in your life, reports from the doctor that didn't go real well. Maybe you have children that are lost, don't know the Lord. Maybe you're just at a place in your life or in your marriage right now, you just don't know what to do. I pray this morning that if you're a child of God, that you realize you have a shepherd. And He'll walk through the darkest, deepest valleys you ever face. And He'll walk through them with you. So let's talk to Him right now for a second. Our Father, we come to You. And I ask You right now, Lord, to touch our hearts. God, You know those precious souls that are here today. That, Lord, they're almost astonished at what they heard from You because... It is like you just knew all about them. It was like you knew the kind of week they had. It was like you knew about their marriage. You knew about that child that is rebellious. and You knew about that report from the doctor that they had told no one. It's because you do know God. We thank you that you do. We're thankful that you do. And I ask You right now, Lord, to touch every heart here. I pray You would bring Your peace and protection on us, Lord, in a way that God is almost tangible. Lord, in a way that we can feel and experience, God. Lord, we know about Your promises, but sometimes, honestly, God, we just need to feel Your hand on our life. So I pray you'd help us now. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.